Hi everyone, welcome to All Things in the Middle, the podcast. Today I will be co-presenting with good friends of mine, they're Pat, Damien, Alan and Josh. We will be discussing travel and restrictions, online dating and life after restrictions, isolation and mental health, surveillance and what lessons we can take from this crisis. So do we have to do this in different languages in case depending on where we're broadcasting? So Josh, how does Cupid strike its bow over coronavirus? That's that's a hard one to answer. Um, <laughs> but actually I have from everything I've read and I've seen online is divorce rates are gonna be super are, are skyrocketing, which is kind of with the current situation you'd expect and then the amount of people on dating apps and i've even found it on myself with various dating apps a lot more people on it there's a lot more you're kind of doing a lot more um virtual dating so it's literally getting dressed from your head to your waist and being in your pajamas and just having the chats like i know one of my friends had our first virtual date i think it was last week and basically what they've done, which I want to do at some point, is they both ordered each other food and got it sent to their houses, which I thought was kind of a cool idea. So if I was with a guy, I'd pick out his food for him, he'd pick out my food for me, and then you just sit and you eat it together. You go on social distance walks, kind of all that stuff. Like, I think virtual dating is going to be around now for a while. I do not see, like, you're not going to be able to go to a bar anymore to meet somebody. It's going to be impossible. And then if you do meet somebody, you're going to be cautious if they have the second virus or not. Like it's, how can I describe it? It's, it's just something that I find now just makes everything a bit harder. Like I, I would now second guess kissing someone in a nightclub um, than I would before, uh, which is probably a good thing for me anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I guess if it's if it's through droplets and saliva, then you you wouldn't w- want your tongue down somebody else's throat. You don't know like, what they've got. Like, like I don't think I can't see the place like nightclubs and the kind of places where like it's not like sm- smaller pubs and so on. They're probably open relatively as soon as they can. But like the bigger places that can't really control the crowds won't be for a while and sadly in Dublin there's like three or four gay bars that's it and they always are jam-packed so how are they going to patrol that and then that kind of comes into effect with the dating as well how are you meant to meet someone if you're queuing to get in and then by the time you get in the person who you might be attracted to or might be interested in has gone out I mean if you look at the front lounge or the queue gone in The George on the front lounge. How the hell are you going to socially distance in those bars? You'd literally like, have to go like that. Coronavirus coming through. Coronavirus coming through. I'm seeing the people block. They did. I know before they kind of put everything into lockdown. I think we're panty bar and the front lounge. And all, they were kind of only allowing in. I think a hundred people at a certain time. But I'm oh, like, I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. But when you go out, you, you, you enjoy going out to the crowds. You enjoy yeah. going where it's busy and it's there's so many people. But if you're, it's only 100 people in a bar, 
that, that's not a lot of people. It sounds like a lot, but it's it's, it's really not if you think of it. Because those hundred, eight of them could be just like tens, ten of them could be friends, five of them could be friends. It's like, how do you balance it? Like, should will they do it where, okay, you can only go to a gay bar if you're single? Well, what difference does that make? If you're going as a couple and someone's going who is single, like, do you know what I mean? Like, if, if, like gay bars are a great place to meet people and... Yeah, but that's, some... but that's only one part. I mean, a lot of people just go for drinks or social, not to meet people necessarily. No, no, I get that. But, like, for me, anyway, when I go out, I go out and I have drinks with friends and so on. But the, the idea as well is when you go out, and especially when you're single, you go out and you hope to meet someone. You might not. And you go out with your friends and you have an amazing night. But you do want to go out and you want to find your Mr. Right or Miss Right, whoever it is. And then you, for me, I will be, no, not that I can think about it, but I would very much be like, well, if it's a, if it's a the front lounge or a panty bar or the George or whatever it is, if they're all full of couples, how are you going to meet someone? Yep. You'd have to, you'd have to introduce singles nights, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to go back to old fashioned single nights and just have people in there on the eye for a date. Yeah, but then maybe, maybe you see in time, if they're doing, doing more testing and I don't know whether this, you know, this idea of, I don't know if we're thinking about it here, the passport idea as well. So if you're positive or have had it and then th- I don't know, are they not talking about that now? I hope not. It's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. You know, but that, that's some countries are looking at that, isn't it? They're saying no. like if people are out and they have it already. Mind you, they're still saying now that there's still a possibility that people might get reinfected. Although I don't think there's any evidence to that. It's like Ecuador or something is the only country so far I said they do it. But, you know, they're again, some Asian countries, what they do, they have heat-seeking cameras on, don't they? But there's there's no, yeah, but there's no guarantee with that. There's no guarantee because you could be, could be asymptomatic. And, and, and the thing about this virus is you, ha- you ha- can have it for a long time without showing any symptoms or without mm-hmm. having any, any uh, temperature. Well, that's true as well. So that's, what the, that's what they're saying with the airports. Does, you can do the heat heating. Now, don't get me wrong, it helps. It can make a difference. But it's, they're just saying it's not worth the effort because so many people could have it and carrying it without showing any temperature. But they, don't, they haven't brought in like a rapid testing. Sure they haven't, or have they? Not yet. Not yet. Well, that's, I think the heat seeking would work really well if they had rapid testing. Yeah, if you had you the two of them together. Mean, yeah. The two of them together, I think, would. But to be honest, for me, I do not. And I, I was chatting with my family and so on. I would say it's going to be September, maybe even after Christmas before no. it's back to some, t- some sort of normality. Like Maybe everything will slowly kind of get up and running again, but I really think it'll be Christmas time before. Yeah, and then and it's going to be back around again. You know, u- universities are, in, in Britain anyway, are all prepared for online courses in September yeah. and potentially from January as well they're not going to be necessarily going back. They still can't get their head around schools, how that's going to happen. Uh, We're talking about even when we go back to work within our organisation, half of the workforce might work mornings, the other half might work afternoons, and we'll we'll switch it around that way. You know, schools, they're, they're talking about mixing up days, certain years being in. For those who are kind of leaving or preparing to leave the kind of key stage milestones, in terms of exams, they kind of want them back in because it's going to have huge ramifications for next year. But their head is is a bit cabbaged as to how do they socially segregate all those students. You can't, you can't have a child not to go near their friends. 
even with my nephew, I couldn't, if you could tell my nephew, okay, and he knows what the virus is, how old is that? Evan's about, I think, eight or nine. He knows what the virus is. He knows he has to wash his hands and all. But if he's, a, if he's out playing with his friends, staying apart two metres is not going to come yeah, into yeah, it. Know, yeah. Like, and you can't, you can't separate. And like, it's even as well with the likes of creches. A lot of p- parents now who are working from home are doing like split shifts, if you, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So one parent might watch the kid for half the day and the other parent watches the other one for the other half the day. Um, and again, creches, I can't see opening for a long time. But also, is everything going to be much more expensive than after this? Because if you have to have social distancing at creche, you might have half the amount of children there. Yeah. Therefore, mm. you pay the staff and all that, the prices will have to go up. But then the same haircuts that, uh, you know, because they won't be able to crowd salons or barbers, that uh, the prices will have to go up because they'll only be having one or two people in at a time. <laughs> it does kind of lead me to think, oh, is life going to be like this until they find a vaccine? If they find a vaccine? Yeah. I think of, so. A lot of people are saying. Yeah. Which I think they predict a year away, don't they? Or at least. The airline companies and some investors I was reading are saying that, look, we, we already expect that no dividends are going to be paid in some banks, some uh, airline companies, because profit is not going to be there. They're going to lose three years of growth. So they're not going to be back to 2019 figures for another three to five years. That's what some people are saying. So dividends. They'd be lucky if they survive. No, but I that, think but that's the problem. They're offsetting, they're offsetting dividend payments to try to maintain the function of the company, they're sacking people to maintain the function of the company, and if they're sacking people, sure, who's going to pay for the expensive part or nobody? Well, was it, uh, Ryanair said that uh, if they have to fly planes with the middle seat in each row on both sides empty, they said they're not going to bother flying them. Yeah, I heard that. I think, I think they probably would. Ryanair won't miss, won't miss well, it. We'll just put up the prices. Yeah, they will have to, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I think the era of cheap flights are, is gone for the short term. Mm. Yeah. Both, both. They, they do need to do entice people back yeah, confidence-wise. Cruise ships are already... I've seen some great offers for, like, cruise ships for next October 2021. No, seriously. Would you go on a cruise ship? I wouldn't go on a cruise and I've been on loads. And I, wouldn't I wouldn't even look at a cruise ship for another five years. It's like getting stuck on a cruise ship if the virus is there mm. and you're in your room and you could be there for weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuck in your room. As has been the case. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. if it was just you and Hubba, it'd be all right, wouldn't it? It would, but I wouldn't like to be stuck in an inside cabin. <laughs> You'd go mad. I would go mad if it was in an inside cabin. Easy. So, does that mean that we are kind of literally prisoners until the last of viruses? You know, there's a part of my brain, I was talking to someone else today, there's a part of my brain kind of, we can have this conversation and I can say, yes, that's probably the likelihood is that whatever our lives are, it's going to be completely different for a year, two years. But it hasn't dropped down into the real part of my brain, yeah. where I accept, I really accept that and I know that, you know what I mean? It's part of me just still hoping, like, we're talking about maybe going away in September or something, or doing something like that, or, or whatever, you know, and it's a bit like, what can we do, what can we do? So I'm still hoping to, to rear up and go somewhere, but I think the reality is, if, and I, I, think, I think a second wave is very likely, and I think we're kind of, as much as I hate to say it, but I think that's, that's a real possibility, our third wave, or whatever way it's going to go. Um, already now, apparently Germany, I don't know if you saw today, Germany has seen a, a bit of an increase in cases now. And that's after they've had a week of relaxing the rules. So I don't know whether that's because of that or just a, a blip. You know, this thing could go belly up so easy, you know. It is like one thing I have to say is I would like, I love 
traveling I don't ever do enough of it and I always say I want to do more but at least for the next year I wouldn't feel comfortable because what god forbid if you're stuck in a country that goes into lockdown again but it is and I yeah, think but just pick the right country <laughs> just when you're picking your flight to say hey, if I get stranded here for three years is that such a bad thing do you know yeah. what actually no it's not like even with my mom like if she if she didn't get out where she, when she did she'd still be there yeah Spain. And the worst thing about it with, with the Canaries as well, and it's one thing I've, I've seen a lot of, is they kicked a lot of people out. Like, if you had an Airbnb and you had people in it who missed their flights, they were still kicked out. The government, it was basically the, the Spanish government were saying it was up to whatever embassy you were. So if you're British, it was up to the British embassy to get you home. If you're Irish, it was up to the Irish embassy to get you home. You just had to get out, get off the island. And but there, there still are a couple of flights. There still are a few flights to some cities in Europe. Ryanair and Aer Lingus still fly to a few places. Yeah, British Airways fly. They all fly. But I, as far as I know, there's, there's hardly anybody on them. Well, I mean, that's listen. Looking at your one to Liverpool at time, maybe it's different now. But I'd say anybody on those flights are just people making connections, or maybe like family members who've lost somebody. There'd be more emergencies, that sort of stuff. But I actually think in order for every for all the countries to get over this is we kind of I, I don't even know if it is possible but just to do a travel ban for maybe two or three weeks all worldwide and like give each country its chance to maybe go into lockdown like serious proper lockdown for those two weeks and try to stop as, as much spread of it as as possible because i think the fact that there are people flying into ireland there are people flying into uk flying into all various parts all over the world it's just it's spreading it yeah yeah, I don't understand why they have land borders, though. Like, it's not just, you know, it's not just a matter of planning flights. I mean, how do you stop all the land borders, especially across Europe? I'm not sure that's going to be feasible. Are, they, are the borders closed still across Europe, some of those borders? A lot of them are, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, Czech, is, Czech Republic are talking about closing it for a year, allowing nobody in or out for a year. I don't know, like, about yourself, Damien, but Alan and Pat can probably agree with this. It infuriates me when I see the likes of us staying at home, abiding by the rules, and then you see all those fuckers going to their holiday villages, going to the beaches. Like, I don't know what, what is, what's it like in the UK at the moment. Like, is there are people absolutely cannot go to second homes? They are stopped by the police, they return back because those places that the systems cannot cope with them. So a lot of places in like North Wales, the Lake District, haven't got the infrastructure if there were an influx of people who develop coronavirus. So they've had to be really strict and get people out of there. So people in like Cornwall, Devon, they're not allowed to be there on second homes. Well, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the rule here, but the, but people still, and they, they have, because they know another long weekend coming up now here. So they've had to start the operation today, apparently. Um, they set an operation to start earlier stop people from going away but i mean they have laws to to impound people and that but they're not they're just i don't know how they're doing it so they're just stopping people on the roads and checking the mask and where they're going well maybe making a, a taking an observation to cars at full of you know holiday stuff or whatever i don't know how they're making those how they're making those judgments because people don't have to carry anything but um they're just i think they're just hoping to be more persuasive than anything else but uh, i actually the only thing that infuriates me like today i went down to dundrum on the lewis and I think Dundrum is probably maybe within the 2K, maybe just a little bit outside of it. But there was a, a gang of young people and I could hear them talking about how they were going to the town to see their friends. Mm. That pisses me off because I'm like, 
because of them, I'm stuck at home for another two weeks. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, and, and like there's, there's, there are people who are breaking and there's parties, apparently lots of parties around the place and guards have been breaking you them see up. see all those housing estates, like the ones and they're sitting in the middle of the road doing like rock the boat and all, and I'm like, just get the boat, fuck off. We talk about like Angela Merkel or we talk about Greece. They could be quite interesting kind of dynamics on it. Yeah, uh, I know bits about all those now, but I wouldn't know a whole lot about why it's working in Greece. But It's because they, they shut down because they didn't want the system overwhelmed. So they shut down early, that was it. So they it? shut down earlier. And that's been the saving grace. Put people in hotels, stop people from coming in. Everything that the British have not done, we're still allowing 150,000 people in a day without anybody being tested. In where? In the UK. There's 150,000 people arriving every day in the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From where? Well, internationally, all over the world. Anybody was traveling at the moment. Yeah. I think it's 150. It might be 15,000. No, we, we need to check. We need to check then, because the, there's still concern over people can just arrive at Heathrow or any of the ports in Britain, and they are not. They are, it, it is going to change. I don't know when that's kind of changing. But it's the same here. Like we're not we're not checking anybody either. You come to the airport. But I think the, I think the World Health Organization's policy is that if somebody comes through, there's no point in, in um, doing the heat tests and all that sort of stuff because a lot of people can be asymptomatic and not show anything. So they said it's kind of pointless doing that. So they said it hasn't shown, for the amount of time it goes into. They said it's not worth it. Now I don't know, but you, yeah, well, you know, these are going to be quarantined when they come into the UK now. Everyone. Yeah. That's the same here. They're going to do that. It's here since March, since I arrived back. They're not, they're not enforcing it. They're not enforcing it. They're saying people should, but they're not enforcing it. Well, I mean, it's hard to enforce. There's too many people, to be fair. But I mean, if you put enough pressure, public relations, and all that, it look like it's been enforced, and people will hopefully just abide by it. I, I worked in Australia and New Zealand. And mm. I seen something about New Zealand haven't had a recorded case now in a while because they shut the borders and all down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it's quite interesting, then, isn't it, in terms of. Some of the world leaders who come out of this who's fairly good are women. So like Jacinda in New Zealand, Angela Merkel in Germany, the president of Taiwan, whose name escapes me. The, the three women come out and report highly of. Yeah. Where else have women leaders? Oh, Latvia or something, isn't it? Latvia has a women, woman leader? Um, Finland, I think. Does Finland has the youngest female youngest prime, minister? prime minister? And then one of the Eastern Europeans has a female president but i think the prime minister of the country is on the opposite political side as well i don't know is, is there a is croatia a female prime president i can't remember ah, come on you should know these things i know one of them yeah one of them is very short hair kind of bushy short hair yeah oh she's great mm. she's great i remember her being questioned about the british and the role of of trump and be communicating with trump about the British role and the one with the bushy hair, who I think is from Latvia or somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah. She was questioned and was like, well, we don't need the British to, to be a communicator with Trump because he just simply does it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do international relations. That's the way he wants to play it. Let him go for it. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know where else. Uh, Argentina has uh, the former prime minister. She's now vice president. She ran the ticket because she couldn't run as president, and so she's in power now as well. I can't, her name also escapes me. 
Now they've stopped, I've just noticed that they've stopped all flights coming into their country up until from up until September the 1st, I think. Wow. Yeah, yeah so nobody's allowed in. Oh, damn. So, that was one of my possibilities, escape route. No, they said no airlines should uh, sell any tickets for any day between now and September 1st because they will not guarantee that a flight can enter. But okay, even if your flight was still going ahead, I don't think I'd fly anywhere. Now, AAG are in trouble, aren't they? I think they're all in trouble by the sound of things. Yeah, yeah British Airways have announced today that they're going to shed a third of the jobs, so 12,000 jobs are now at risk with British and, uh, Airways. And uh, what, what do you call it? Um, Virgin. Virgin looked like they they could go as well. Mm. And then... Uh, jobs with British Airways, wasn't it? Take okay. in, Pat. Or with, uh, was the British Airways were going to make 12,000 people redundant? 12,000. Yeah. 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 Why then, do you at the moment, though? Why are they going to um, ease restrictions next week for us? I don't think they will. Well, the latest news is that there's a cabinet conflict between easing and restrictions. So there's obviously some are for, some are against. Yeah, because you, yeah, you're, I mean, there's there's reasons for both, isn't there? But I'd say they'll if they do it, they'll just do very small things, you know, very small things. Because it looks like to me there's still there's still a lot of cases out there, and they still didn't they're saying it's not as low as they'd like it to be. I don't know what the latest on that one percent thing is. I know it's under it, but I don't know what it is. Do you yeah. even know what well, it is? Well, well, it's, they're always saying it's between 0.5 and one percent, mm. or one 0.5 to one. That means if a person gets it, they're unlike, they won't even pass yeah. one other person, you know. But, um, but what bothers me is that they don't give a figure of what they want it to be before they leave restrictions. No, they don't, yeah. They just they said lower than that. They said lower than the 0.5 anyway. Yeah, yeah. But what's, what is that figure? It would be yeah. good to know that. I would love to know that. Yeah, yeah, because I, may, Well, I, maybe they won't say that because that would indicate that would everybody be waiting for that. And as soon as they officially reach it, then there'll be a mad rush to think, okay, we can open the doors and we can all run out. We have a five-point test. So it, it's more than that figure. It's that the NHS can cope. Deaths have dramatically reduced. Yeah. Um, oh, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, there's a five-point plan which is clearly stepped out. Yeah, they will not consider releasing lockdown until those five conditions are met, which are actually quite good because I think people are really cautious. Yeah. Well, I... But the thing you know, that bothers me about those is that they say about five conditions, but there's nothing measurable in those conditions. Uh, they say till the NHS can cope. What does that mean in numbers? We don't yeah, know. Yeah. You know, um, till whatever conditions they, they're applying, mm. they're, they're not giving us a measurable thing that we can measure by so that we know that if, say, next week, if certain figures are, are reached, then we know things will be eased up. But they never give us those figures, so therefore, how do we know when we're going to get into this? Yeah, but is well, it not, is that, it not that, just a light at the end of the tunnel idea? Say, like, well, there's the light, we've just got to get, go get to it, regardless of what the measures might be. Yeah. Is it not just a like, we, the light be less? we don't know where the light is. I mean, it's at the end of the tunnel, but we don't know how long the tunnel is. Because but that's, that's the, the point. Measures. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think for, for Britain, um, it's it's clear that we're going to come out as one of the worst cases in Europe. Um, certainly after the figures they've confirmed today, they're going to start releasing the figures of deaths, not just in hospitals, but in community and within nursing homes as well. Already when you start to look at that, we've exceeded Spain, we've exceeded Italy, we've exceeded France. Um, in fact, there's so many countries which, when you add up their culminative figures, we are still ahead of them, and that's a good many countries. 
countries like Germany, Australia, New Zealand, oh, Norway, when you add all those into the mix, and our death rate is much higher. Well, my problem with that is that different countries are measuring it differently. Yeah, yeah, they are. However, again, how do you do comparisons if there isn't an international standard for measuring these things? Now, I'm, I'm guessing that in time, like in the next couple of months, once they get over this emergency part, I'm not saying it's going to go away, but I'd say when things begin to get a bit more manageable, that's the sort of stuff they'll be doing now. They'll be looking at everywhere how people gather, how countries gather, gather the stats and then trying to get one norm to get one. Because you're right, there's no, like Germany hasn't, I know Germany's one of the lowest rates of deaths, but Germany hasn't included, I think they have included their, home, their care homes, but there's one section of society they haven't included. So theirs will be a little bit higher, but still lower than most people's and stuff like that. And I think Italy, for a while there, never included all their, their care home deaths either. I think they have included them now. And we're only starting to, well, we've been doing it in the past two weeks. Um, it's interesting we're putting in one's probable cases. I wonder, I haven't heard anybody else doing that. Yeah, exactly. Is that in the UK, Damien? I think they've started to, to mention that today, but you see, I think the UK is is a different kettle of fish. You know, we had a remembrance, uh, a, a, a moment of a minute to remember the NHS and social care staff. So there's been over 100 NHS and social care staff who have died so far of coronavirus in this short space of time, we had a memorial today for them nationally. There are, yeah, there, there are considerable concerns about too many pressures. You know, my niece who works within uh, within intensive care, she said um, what she's seen is younger people, younger people with this, this illness. In fact, one of her school classmates died today, same age as her, 30. Wow. You know, and I've known of several people over these last two weeks, where they've been 33, 35, 37 who have died. Not what we were kind of told at the I saw, beginning. I saw um, there was, there was a, a short um, article on the BBC yesterday, uh, reminding me what you said there. They were just putting out warnings to GPs. I don't know if you saw that. That anybody uh, who has, even young or old, who has, I think it was respiratory or coughs, or what was it? I think it was a cough, um, or some basic symptoms. Was it respiratory things, whatever, that might be attributed to just a cold or something else? They were to immediately, immediately contact um, the, the, the NHS or something to get advice on whether it could be something more. Because apparently there's quite a few people suffering. I think they said younger people as well, suffering uh, serious conditions um, going to hospital because of this. Yeah. And doctors weren't aware of it or people weren't aware of it. Do you, uh, do you remember the details of that, John, or did you see that? I think the one I seen yesterday was the, NA, the NHS GPs put out an alert for young people who are in, in an inflammatory problem, which doesn't have the same symptoms as yeah. coronavirus as such, but obviously they're relating it to the same thing because there seems to be an influx or an increase in numbers saying that they have this type of, I don't know what you want to call it, the inflammatory problem. And then I think the same thing in the United States was that the number, there's a certain hospital in the United States that I was listening to yesterday that had an increase of people who had suffered a stroke. So for, they don't know why, obviously it's too recent, they don't have enough study on it, but they're saying that it's possibly related to coronavirus and it could just be that maybe it's your, your genetics or whatever could be, could be affecting you differently. But these people are suffering from like, I think they were getting like a bulge in part of their head was in bulging and it was to do with a blood clot. Um, oh, yeah. It's quite that. interesting because I mm. think I think in intensive care that's one of the things I've been told that they're finding a lot of people who are in intensive care 
have a lot of blood clots. The blood clots would be associated then with strokes. I saw that article, I think, which had emerged from America, yeah. which had said the amount of young people who are dying of strokes, they hadn't realised necessarily that they were coronavirus related. But I think it's to do with clots because it's not just a respiratory problem per se, is it? It's something which does impact upon blood cells. I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, I wonder if they know enough about this virus, actually, for them to be so definitive. And then myself and Peter are watching, uh, oh gosh, what was it? Maybe it was, I think I listened to a lot of podcasts. So it was another podcast. And I think the main, the main thing there was talking about blood, uh, blood oxygen levels, I think it is. Um, I'll have to get Peter to correct the language, but it was to do with your, your oxygen level when it's like below even like 90 odd, it's quite dangerous. But the same with coronavirus, what it does is it's like when you're hiking a, a mountain, rather than doing it in the day, you're doing it in a week. So every so you're getting used to the low intake of oxygen that to the point where you're able to clean your entire house and not realize that your oxygen level, your ability to breathe in is quite low, like 40%, which is just extremely dangerous. Even 50, 60, 70, 80, still very dangerous. And these are saying these people who were then tested for this had levels at 50 and 60, which mm. like Peter's like, they should be dead simply mm. because it's so low, but because it's because on, the onset of it is so slow that people are adjusting to it. So it's like, uh, like I said, it's like hiking. The higher you go up, less oxygen there is but if you do it over a long period of time you adapt and you can cope but if you do it within an hour you'll suffer greatly so this is what this is the stats isn't it where they put the little thing clip onto your finger yes. yes to see so normally your pressure is about 99 or mine was last time i was at the doctors if it starts going 93 92 under yeah it becomes an issue i know somebody no. who this is happening to right now They've got a temperature of 41. It's not decreasing even when they take paracetamol. The stats are about 93. But the person is loath to go to hospital because they, they, they're absolutely afraid that if they go into hospital, what is going to happen to them? Are they going to be intubated and never come out? Their mother yeah. with, with three children. So it's a concern. Yeah, and then they're asking about the possibility of self-testing at home with these their finger clip-ons and saying the ones that are available, they're not quite accurate. And if people say that they're not too low, they might ignore it as opposed to if they feel it, they might go. But you're right, people are just ignoring it for whatever reason it might be, whether it's because they could be afraid of uh, catching, corona, uh, catching uh, coronavirus when they do go to the hospital or any other type of disease um, or whatever it might be. But it is to do, with, like again, with the strokes, people are delaying their visits to the hospital and it's it literally killed them. I know one or two people who are kind of quarantined alone now at the moment. I know they're struggling and I feel bad for them because they're doing their bit and then there's a lot of people out there who aren't. Yeah, well, I think, I think you're going to get it. You're going to get that in every society, you know? It's very difficult when you live on your own that you can't see people. Mm. Yeah, I think, and, and I think you will, it is taking a toll on some people's mental health. Yeah, and like do you find it yourself Pat that you just miss like the kind of normal everyday like social interactions uh, it's not so much that um, I miss seeing my family a lot mm. that's a big thing I miss and just you know going over I usually go to my sister's on a Sunday for lunch and stuff like that so I really miss that sort of thing um, 
I don't miss going out. I don't care about bars or restaurants or anything like that. But I do want to be able to see my family. And that's I'm hoping that they'll ease the restrictions next week so that we have some level of, you know, interaction, more interaction allowed. Yeah. And like, for me, no, I know I'm with my family, so I'm, I'm very lucky in that way. And I do see them most of the time because my sisters only live around in the area. But I don't know about yourselves. Like, I would find that I wake up some days and I forget it, this is the coronavirus. Yeah. And you're like, wake up and you're in good form. And you're like, and then you're like, fuck, I can't do anything. Or you then, you wake up in bad form. I've been finding out la- the odd last week or two now, the odd day I've woken up and I just haven't wanted to do anything. Like, I don't know if you would feel the same way where you're, where you wake up and you just, you're not motivated to do anything. You're not even motivated yeah. to get dressed. Your, your energy levels can be really, really low at times. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 do, I do find at times that waking up, yeah, the, the, your first thought then, of course, is the reality is I'm staying at home today and I'm staying at home because of the virus and blah, 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 blah. And then you realize that there's limits to what you can do. I have to say though, and I know it doesn't help you, Josh, but actually having work for me, as my, I know I, I complain about it a lot of the time, but actually the days fly by with the work, do you know what I mean? And I just have, because I don't have to, I can't think about it too much. I just have to get up. I have to engage with it. I have to do it. And actually it just, it just the day shoots by. And um, you know, I still look forward to the weekends just because, not, not that I'm doing nothing different, but just that I'm not thinking about work. So the weekends are just kind of, just a non-thinky sort. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. It is difficult. I, yeah. I find for me that, um, I get a bit down if I don't plan. So now I make sure I've, I've planned things all the time. So and the fact of doing some volunteer work and stuff really helps because I've, I've stuff to do on that in terms of paperwork and stuff like that that I can do at home. So, um, but I have to, uh, each day now, I have something set out for each day this week that I want to get done. And I have to plan it out because keeping busier is a big help, I find. Do you keep a diary, Pat, or do you just know that stuff in your head or what? No, I just know that uh, there's a load of things in my head that I want to get done. Uh, I don't have to, like say if I get up in a day, I don't feel I have to get something done. But it's good for me to know that today now I might get this done. And that really helps me through the day, definitely. Yes, that's good. And what, how do you organise your day, Josh? Well, for me, like, I'm not even going to lie, I haven't got up before 8am in the last six weeks. Before 8? Yeah. Like my normal wake up time is about, and it's terrible because I don't go to bed till about two or three, and then I go maybe about nine, between nine and eleven. Um, okay, that's not bad. And, and the only reason I do it, and it's the only thing that kind of is my saving grace, because to be honest, I could spiral into a depression very easily not doing. I'm really trying my best not to. Um, is that and like when am I ever gonna have the time? not to do anything if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're right you're right yeah do you do you, like, do, you, do you experience a lot of depression josh not necessarily like not a lot but have you experienced not a it lot. before this morning i got up and i was in fell humor don't know why i just woke up i was not in the humor going i didn't work out today i work out every single day i didn't do it today i went to dundrum and um, to get some bits and pieces so that kind of cheered me up a bit just to get out of the house for a while um, it's weird there's, there's good days and there's bad days there's days where I could conquer the world and there's days where I don't even want to get dressed that's normal it is and it, I, th- I think the only saving grace with this whole situation is that 
everybody's situation is different. Some people are with people, some people are on their own, some people might be struggling with financially wise and so on, but we are all in it together. Even though we are all, our different situations might vary, we are still all in it together. Whether you have millions in the bank or you have nothing in the bank, you still can't leave your house. I think that's something that just gets me through. Like when I see my nieces and I see my nephews and all, I just want to give them a big hug. Like I don't miss not going out like what Pat was saying, but I miss going over to my sister's house for a cup of tea and sitting in her garden and having the chats. Yeah. It's really hard. Not that's the, the the hard aspect for me. Like even with my mom, I'm in the house with my mom at the moment, but we, we don't hug each other, we don't sit mm. close to each other, we keep our distance. It's weird and I think what's scary is like I don't think this is gonna be over in two weeks. I don't I I, I think Christmas time will still be seen people will still be implementing it and from now on for me anyway what, what i think is this is the new normal one of the things i do want us to to look at is you know the the mantra now is about test tap track and trace is the way which is going to go out of the lockdown so tracking where, where contagion is, testing it, testing both in terms of if you've got the virus or you've antigens to the, the, the virus, tracing and tracking, and the use of kind of surveillance apps. Yeah. We've got an app which has been developed in the UK. What are people's thoughts on having a mobile app and do you understand how it works? There's different types, I understand that. I've watched bits on the news, right, and I'm only getting news of there's different types and there's lots of different apps being developed at the moment. The European Union um, is developing, is trying to pull together all the different ones in Europe to look at GDPR, to look at all that. And Europe is the one that's most concerned about data sharing and, and all of that stuff. So the European ones are saying they want to get one that respects the GDPR, um, okay. unlike other countries. And what that means, I, I'm not quite sure yet, but they're saying that therefore they send the one that most respects GDPR is ones that are based on Bluetooth. Again, I don't really understand it. I know what Bluetooth is, but I, under I don't understand the difference between that and other ones. Yeah. But I'm saying Bluetooth is a way it gives more respect to your own data and doesn't necessarily freely give it all away. And they're, they're, so they're trying to, the European Union is trying to come up with one combined law around all this, around data protection and around ones that work for people. But I, I do understand there's, quite a, there's lots of different companies developed. There's one company here as well trying to develop apps for all that sort of stuff. So, and there will be lots of them. I, I saw something on this that they, they're trying to develop an app and one of them that they think they may want to use would be where everybody would have or people would have an app on their phone. I think they would force people to have but people could choose to have an app on their phone. And what happens is if they get the virus or become ill, then um, that app uh, will allow the telecoms companies to um, track people maybe they sat down beside even or were within a close proximity to say on public transport or something like that um, and therefore those people then would be sent an anonymous message yeah. saying that they could be vulnerable for someone who you were near they wouldn't even give names or that someone who you were near but you knew the person or not uh, has become ill or has been diagnosed with a virus and that just seems to be a lot of fear mongering because you're getting this message saying that you're you, you're vulnerable but you don't know how you're vulnerable, really, because they can't tell you. Yeah, but th there is, there is. Well, I they just tell you that you've been in close contact with somebody who's now got a diagnosis of a of a condition. So the recommendation is that you should get tested. 
but there mightn't even be, well, there mightn't even be, there might, the person might just be ill, there mightn't have been testers. Yeah. I, I think it's only intriguing, well, from a British perspective, the NHS one that they're developing <clears throat> would be, if you had the symptoms, you would register on your phone, you would then get the test, the test would be kind of linked to your phone, you would return it back, the results would come through, send a message to all your people your phone has been in contact with, so like in physical close proximity, would then send a message to say, you have been in contact with someone who's now got a diagnosis, would you like a test? Your phone wouldn't do that, that would be done centrally. Yeah. How do you mean? Well, let's say, let's say... Um, I would I, get a message on my phone. Yeah, but let's say I had, let's say I didn't know you and I was, happened to be sitting beside you somewhere and I found yeah. you close proximity and then you got the virus. I would get a message, not from you, but from a central location. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah that's right. You have yeah, been in close proximity with somebody who's yeah. with the virus. I wouldn't yeah. get this from someone dead. Not my phone, no, gosh, no, no. I think this is where it's, it's Bluetooth connected. That, so that's looking, I, I noticed that Australia have just launched their app and already people have downloaded it in their millions. With today. apps like that, you never want to leave your house. Because yeah, you're, uh, exactly. with, with that situation, you're going to come in, like, I go out for runs every day. I've probably come into contact with at least one person who has it every single day. Yeah. And I, you'd have that fear every time you got a text message exactly. saying you came in contact. How are you meant to go to work? If you so work do you think it would make you more anxious, Josh? I, I, I definitely do. Because the only thing is, like, I work in the public sector. I deal with public at all times, nearly every day. And if I'm getting the Lewis to work or I'm walking or even if I'm in Dunn's doing my food shopping and then a day later or a few hours later I'm getting a text to say you're in contact with someone who has it, then let's say I do two weeks quarantine and then I come out of it and I didn't get it and I get another text to say yeah, you're yeah. in contact. Yeah, yeah, but you'd be getting tested. You'd be then getting yeah, tested. But get tested and then you could go back out into the world and then get another text to say oh, being in contact with someone and then have to get retested again. But I think in terms of us getting back to normal, I think that's what it's going to take. Well, for for but, people but mentally vulnerable, getting those texts, I mean, I think most people would find it would create some anxiety. Yeah. But for people who are very vulnerable mentally, it might create a huge amount of... And there's a lot of stigma to getting this virus. I really do think there is. For me, anyway, it's not even that if I got it, I wouldn't care if I got it. But if I got it and someone I knew died, and they and I, there could have been a possibility they got it off me. Yeah. I'd never be able to forgive myself. Yeah, even though you'd be completely innocent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the one in, I know the oh, one in Europe. I, th I think that, that we need to pick up on next time about the stigma. Is there a stigma connected to coronavirus? Oh yeah, there is. Yeah. Sorry, just on the yeah, one. I, I don't know. One about the European one. Sorry, it's the one I saw the longest article one. And they were saying that they're actually saying exactly that. And Josh just really hit it there, that the people will stop responding to that if if a thing if it sends you a bleep every time you you were near somebody or passed by somebody or sat beside somebody or whatever. I had it. So what they're saying is, would they're saying is they'd have to limit it or they'd have to say you'd have to be beside someone for fifteen minutes who was positive, something like that. So they're saying you came in contact with someone who was over certainly more than a minute or something they're saying up to 15 minutes they're looking at that where the chances of catching it from that person is is significant 
whether that's sitting beside them in the, in the Lewis, whether that's working with them, whether we're sitting having ah, a coffee. Ah, oh, if, if it's not prevalent, if it's not prevalent, we surely shouldn't be out of lockdown. What would happen if you were on the lower deck of a bus and somebody directly above you? On the yeah, board. but if, if, if you're talking about That's the same proximity, you know, the same frequency as you're talking now, then I don't think in Britain that would suggest that those conditions are being met to come out of lockdown, because it would mean that it's still too prevalent in society. Mm -hmm. but, but, back to Josh's point then, like, if Josh is getting a text every bloody week every time he goes to work that he's satisfied someone, well, then clearly it's spreading too. It's, spre it's still very contagious. It's spreading the spread yeah, of it is quite yeah. highly. What the heck do you need an app for? Just lock everybody down again. Just lock everybody like, down. To have the app is just ridiculous. To use it means that people are out of lockdown. Therefore, the spread should be less, which means that people shouldn't really be coming in contact with it. Therefore, the app is redundant. My issue with it is that I think it's very dangerous. I think the technology is very dangerous. I think once you develop that sort of thing, it can be used widely from intelligence services to military to anyone. Israel already have something in situation, which means that they've been faster to react to this. They're highly surveillance. They've used similar type of phone tracking software, which I'm sure you've heard stories about before, where they've tracked politicians and other type of information from your WhatsApp groups or anything else, uh, even from people's PCs, from downloading some malware. Um, I do think the biggest thing coming from the lockdown is the degradation of democracy and your civil rights, your constitutional rights, which are, whether you agree with it or not, are being trampled on. I think you have to be cautious. You're, you're voluntarily giving up your rights at the moment. And I mean, it has to be for a period of time because at some point it does have to end yeah. even from a rights point of view, regardless of a health point of view as well. And I just think developing the software or developing sort of network in which you can be tracked, your friends and family can be tracked, extremely dangerous. They can already do that. I mean, they can do that already. Lots of GDPR does sort of protect your, what, your, I don't know, your gentry, let's say, and your, your personal information kind of gives you a right to kind of go back at them. But I mean, it's still there, still exists. They can do it tomorrow if they wished. But like, I mean, only for the fact that we do have human rights and other types of civil rights that mm -hmm. it's not as prevalent as it is. So I do think we need to be very careful of what we're giving up. What are the lessons? What, what, what is something that you think either we as people, individuals, we as nations that we live in or just society in general can take from this crisis, this ongoing crisis, we should say, because it's still not over. Well, the positive for me is I have never spoken to my family so much. Lovely. Literally, yeah. I have never like video chatted and all that stuff, but all the riffs or like the dramas or whatever has happened before, it's all forgotten about because all you wanted to do was hug them. And just so for me, seeing them all the time and chatting, and I've chatted even with friends I haven't spoken to in a while. And I think that's a really nice positive to take about it is that it's. I feel like this virus is, although we're separating as a, as a world, we're being brought together. I think that's a lovely way to look at it. We might be together, separated now, but it's bringing us together in other ways. In other ways. And will you maintain that pre, pre uh, post crisis? Yeah. Of course, I think it's very easy to maintain it now because if you're stuck, first of all, if you're stuck with stuff, if you're a family for a while, if you can get through the virus, you can get through anything. And then the one who you don't get to see, you're going to love them that little bit extra. 
like, and I'm sure Pat and Alan and Damien and yourself, Johnny, you can't wait to see your nieces and your nephews and your sisters and all that stuff. And just like, it, it, it kind of, it's, it's like, it's not like, it's not like they died, but in a way, their relationship kind of like, that bond kind of was like severed and now you're rebuilding it, if that makes sense. Mm. So when, when you do get to see them, it makes it that bit more special. Alan, how about you? Uh, well, I've, I've I wanted to put on a little bit extra weight, so I've finally been able to do it. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny, just one thing that struck me today. Well, I mean, there's, I think there's actually quite a few positives. I think it's interesting how we've made the leap to working at home all the time, and I would never have worked from home, ever. So it's interesting how, and there's some things I like about it. I like, um, actually, in some ways I can get more things done. In other ways, it takes longer to do things. Um, but it's interesting. My mom, for example, she's, she, she drives out to meet my brothers, family, uh, friends. She goes to Bridge, goes a bit, nothing in the area. And so she has reconnected with a whole lot of the neighbours. She said, no, she shouldn't be, but she's out walking around the place. She goes further and further each day. I'm always giving out her brain. <laughs> But she's, she's met quite a few of the neighbours and connected that way that she hasn't done in, I mean, 20 years or something, you know. And it's like suddenly she's made some connections there and they're talking and stuff like that. So it's like there's another world around you that you don't see. And maybe maybe some of that is like what you're saying, Josh. There's another world you connect online in a different way and like like she's connected in another way. And I think probably you'll find that mo- a lot of people are doing that. I've seen what's closer to hand as opposed to always being able to travel and go places and do things. And even a bit like us, Damien, and stuff like that. And Pat, we, I mean, I still would never change that, going away and all that sort of stuff. But it's kind of, you've ne- we now have to look at what's more present to us, as opposed to being able to hop away, which uh, was an escape, and I loved it, and I still love it, and I'd love to do it again. But it's kind of forcing us, forcing me, let's say, to, to rethink about being present to what's happening day by day. And I think that's a good thing. And if I can ask you for a quick comment then on the idea that I know Galway University and DCU, Dublin College University, had done a survey recently on people working from home and the majority of correspondents came back and said they actually work more hours at home. What are your thoughts on uh, work encroaching on your out-of-hours personal life because we're probably seeking that productivity that Pat mentioned earlier in regards to looking for something to do to kind of get through it all? I think I think certainly there's some truth. I do feel that a bit. Although I was thinking, I probably do the same sort of things when I'm in work. You know what I mean? I do stretch myself and that. But I I do I do feel like there's more pressure. Yeah, there is more. Well, there's a little bit more pressure to prove yourself in one way. Um, and it. But it. What I will say about work is become a lot more intense because you're trying to. Well, in my case, I'm managing staff, so I'm trying to manage staff from distance. Um, we're trying to come up with work plans that they work with. I'm trying to come up with ways of making sure that they are supported. And also everything, everything is through the screen, all the conversations. It's you're on your laptop. It's, it's chats like this the whole time and all of that. And it's much harder. It's much more, it's actually more stressful. Now, I mean, it's not all hyper stress, but I feel much tighter at the end of the day doing this. Whereas if it's in sitting in a room together, you sit there together, you can have a cup of tea, chat, you see body language, you can, shake hands, hug, whatever the story is, you can do your thing. So it's a lot more personal and this is a lot less personal. And um, so for me, I find this more stressful. And at the end of the day, I'm tireder, I would say. Yeah. Do, you, do you think video chats embolden people as in like gives them a sense of confidence because there's not that personal interaction where you know power kind of takes over where they're having a one-to-one with your manager. It's not so personal that you feel distant so you can be more confident, more emboldened. 
I do you know that's an interesting that's an interesting point. I I'd say yes. Yeah, we were able to approach it, and also because I think you you just when you're when you're with someone face to face, maybe you beat around the bush a bit more, or you do something. Whereas here, it's like you just need to get to the point a bit quicker because there's less of you to see, there's less to do, so you just have to get to the point. And I think um, that could be a factor as well. Uh, Pat. Yeah. Um... There's a few things I think that are real positives. Um, I love the idea now that people are getting to spend time with their kids and stuff like that, you know, that uh, because of the busyness of commuting to work and all that. And that's really good for society as a whole. Um, really good. Uh, for me, I mean, yeah, going out for walks is much more pleasurable now. There isn't near the amount of traffic on the road. Um, the sky does seem to be clearer. There's no planes going over. And actually, I, when I go out now, I hear the birds singing, mm. which I never used to notice, and I notice it so much now. So from that point of view, they're positives for me, yeah. Uh, Damien? Uh, I think for me, so from a work perspective, I've loved how the team I manage have become real um, buddies in terms of solidarity, in terms of learning their skill set, so in terms of social media, so they become really a fay with Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, being able to develop content to go on them using apps such as Ripple and Canva to be able to, to demonstrate, you know, social media content. So that's good. I'm enjoying that side of, of managing a staff team. It is intensive. It does feel as it holds solidarity and a connection there. Um, yeah, family time, I love. We get together regularly to have like lots of FaceTime, lots of quizzes within the family. So that's good. Um, you know, there's a bit more kind of social isolation visits. People will drop by and sit in the garden, particularly with my mum, because she's 86, so they'll want to come and see her. Um, so that's lovely. Um, I find time is going very quickly. I can't believe now. I think it's because I'm really busy. Uh, but I just find time just goes like that. I was talking to Huber the other day and it's like two months since I've seen Hoover, and it doesn't feel like two months mm. on another level, but I think that's because I'm busy, so I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. I kind of love the, the, the sense that we're living in a period of history. You know, it's like our Black Death type moment, isn't it? So it's, it's quite historical, um, which does give you time to be able to sit up and think, actually, do I, do I, you know, how do I want to be moving forward? What do I want in life? What do I value? I was talking to a doctor the other day who was really sad that she'd lost a patient of hers who was only 33 when she died. But for the last 16 years of her life, she's kind of lived with a lot of anxiety and should she do this or should she not do that? And when you kind of look, she had a very shortened life. Why the hell didn't she just do it? Yeah. Like, it's, it's too precious. I've always kind of got a sense of appreciation for life and I think I probably that's grown stronger so I'm quite happy with that so there's lots of kind of positives there I am kind of a gregarious person will go out an awful lot but I actually find staying in is quite okay to do as well you know um, I'm not anxious about going out I will go out but I will also think about I'm not supposed to go out because I'm shielded so that means I'm not supposed to go out over the doorstep. And I might venture over the door about once a week. And that kind of gets me a bit like, Ooh. but in the main, I'm, I'm, I feel fairly okay about that. So 
Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you something, just pick up on something you said. Sure. You're talking about the lady who died at 33, who was quite anxious up until that point. And, you know, one, one could say that, you know, did she ever really live life to, you know, the to maximum? The yeah, which is the, the comment. Exactly. Yeah. And do you think, and, and then you're saying that you, you feel that we're living in a moment of history, this is their black death like I know a lot of people don't see that yet as in like this is as in this is incredible this is huge this is a moment that we have only ever read about in secondary school books yeah, or in a history yeah. lecture and um, do you think all of those people are really going to miss out on that in terms of being able to reflect on their time at home and be able to do something going forward for example if that lady who was alive today who was at home always anxious up to this point do you think she do you think she may look at life not her particularly but person in that situation may look alive and say wow i've really got to do other stuff or change things or you know grab life by the lemons do you know what i would like to think that people will have a deeper sense of appreciation and live life to the full the other side of this mm-hmm. um i always think of a quote dolly parton says you cannot have a rainbow without a lot of rain so i do think there's going to be that that rainbow moment my fear is that people will be so anxious by this time, by this period, they will be so traumatized by it, that the whole sense of appreciation when they come out the other side will not be there for many people. I think it will be a time of anxiety, low mood, depression. I think it will be a very traumatizing time. So I, yeah, I, I think if you can take stock and build resilience within yourself to God against this when you come through the other side, because I think for many people will live on a sense of adrenaline to get them through it, and it will be they they will live in more fear the other side of it. Jono? Mm, yeah, I, I've been thinking this for a while, and I was kind of saying like the biggest thing for me would be that I think you realise what really is essential, kind of what Josh was talking about, like you know the be be interesting to go back to refer back to this time in a couple of years and say to the government well you deemed all of these things essential i.e electricity gas yeah here we are with people living in poverty where they can't access these essentials like why can't we take the same type of attitude towards that where we say people must have these essentials let's make it so uh, the other thing is socialized medicine is to the fore and um, without a doubt i think we're gonna have a one-tier system if other countries already don't have it they might adapt it where everybody sings on the same hymn sheet having one system underneath the government where everyone has same access is incredibly useful during the pandemic not only that i think it's better to ensure that it's efficiently resourced and when we come out of the pandemic not to say well that's grand the icu is not full anymore let's take away some beds i think our attitude really has to change i do think it has for some like yourselves with what you've said today but I just wonder, will it change for those who are in the position to ch- make the actual change themselves and legislation and so on? Um, the positive would be, yeah, I, I hope people just take something from it. I do think it's it's a history-making moment that everyone's going to read now down the line. Um, I don't even know if I've taken stock of it. Um, you try to reflect, but gosh, it's you know you wake up the next day and you, you know, you're living the same day over and over and over. So mm. I think it's hard right now, but I think you have to make sure you don't run to the exit with adrenaline, like you said, Dane, and I think we really have to slow down, approach it slowly. The government's phase approach could work, um, but also make sure you address all the mental health issues that may arise from it. unemployment, loss of jobs, loss of careers, loss of mortgage Huge loans. Mess, yeah. You know, this will be the time for us to actually reflect on all of that. Yeah.